This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. Just play doctor online. Before I get rolling, I need to point out that the uh, one of the signs of spring has uh, finally made its way here. Uh, each year for the last uh, four years at least, maybe five, maybe more, each year at about this time of the year, uh, we have a couple of visitors that make their way to our yard or sometimes up on our roof um, they are a pair of ducks mallard ducks I believe a male and female they come each year I think there was one year where there was a third duck with them I wonder if it was one of their you know uh, offspring you know their offspring or something and and was hanging out with them a little bit and, and it was not quite fully grown grown yet I'm not I, I'm not sure but anyway uh, they hadn't been around as of last weekend. I was looking around. I thought I started thinking about them. I said, "Where are they? I, I hope they're okay. I hope they didn't come to an end. You know, didn't get hunted or predatored or predated or pre- whatever you would, whatever that word is." Uh, and so I was getting a little concerned. Uh, not terribly concerned because, well, if I don't see them, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. But uh, I did mention to Amy, my wife, I said, uh, have you seen the ducks around? We haven't seen them yet. Uh, get a little curious as to where they, you know, if they'll show up again. And that was, as I said, last weekend. And then on Monday of this past week, when I was driving home from work and pulling up to the house, I looked up on the roof and there they were. Oh, the ducks are back. <laughs> uh, they hang around for a couple few days. Uh, I just saw them the one day, so maybe you know, maybe they've been around for a little bit and I just hadn't seen them. Or maybe they just stuck around for one day and are gone, or I just haven't seen them since. Whatever reason. But it is kind of, it, it's, it's a neat little thing that happens. That, uh, that they come back to the same area for a pit stop for a while, and uh, then move on to wherever it is that they are headed. Uh, I, our house and yard and the neighbors, uh, they, they, they'll hang out around this little, this corner that we're at. They'll hang up. They'll, they'll get on the other people's roofs. and Usually it's ours, though. Um, probably because our house is the highest house uh, on the corners. I wonder if maybe it gives them the, a better view. Uh, who knows? But it's nice to see the ducks have come back. Uh, so that shows us that spring is here. And let's hope it really is here. It could. It's. It still could snow. It's April, 
it still could snow. If you recall, last winter, last year, it was spring, uh, in mid-April, I believe it was mid-April, we were supposed to scrub and wax a hardware store. Maybe it was the first weekend of April, so maybe not mid. And uh, we knew a storm was coming in, and we tried to postpone the job, saying, don't think we're going to make it. And the guy said, oh, no, 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 we have to we have to have you guys do it this weekend. We've already uh, cleared a bunch of stuff off the floor, and we're getting ready to put the spring displays out, and you guys got to do it. Well, we tried, but we just couldn't get there. It's just there's too much snow. It was a foot of snow or something like that. It was just too much. So my boss talked to the owner of the of the hardware store and said, you know, my guy's safety is comes first and besides, we're never going to make it there in time even if we do make it there. So we postponed it to the next weekend. So it didn't really need to get done right that weekend. We could still set it up for the next one. So it could still snow. It could still happen. And then, of course, I, I recall this. I remember the story of uh, of uh, back oh some years ago when I was still hanging out at the uh, at the uh, at the neighborhood bar that I used to hang out at um, with my friend John. And uh, it was way back. It was many years ago. And uh, sitting there drinking, and it was May. Uh, I don't know, early May, whatever. It was May. That was the month. And it was the first encounter we had with a fellow who became a regular for a little while that uh, John and I took to calling the loud guy because we, you know, when we, we give nicknames to people when we don't know what their names are, we'll just give them nicknames because we'll know who they're talking about <laughs> when we're talking about these people that have come into our bar and they're not exactly regulars yet. So we called him the loud guy. And uh, because when he came in, that first time we encountered him, he was sitting at the bar, uh, a few chairs down from us, sitting by himself. And he, uh, yeah, it was a particularly cold May night, and it was snowing. We weren't going to get a foot of snow or even an inch of snow. It was just going to be a dusting. It was, it was not going to be anything, really. But it was cold enough. And we probably had some warm days ahead of that. And so, you know, it's kind of a, oh, great, back into the cold again. It's just, you get you get geared up for spring to be here, and then, then something like that happens. It's kind of a bummer. And he gets in there, and he sits down at the bar, and he just says very loudly, It's me, and it's effing snowing out! Except he didn't say effing. <laughs> he just said it to himself and to everybody, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so from that point on, he was the loud guy. Anyway, I'm hoping that that doesn't happen this year uh, and that the big storm that we had last April doesn't happen again this year. So it would be nice to get past all that. Because as you know, for the janitor job, all that sidewalk salt that, takes place, that happens and the sand and all that stuff that they put out and it gets tracked into the buildings and it just makes it that much more of a pain in the ass to clean. And uh, this month, we're setting up all kinds of uh, floor scrubbing jobs to uh, clean up after the spring, so or after the winter, I should say, the spring cleaning of the floors. And we've gotten four jobs booked, uh, you know, approved to do. We have to get all of them scheduled. But uh, so you know, we got some weekend work coming up this this month. Okay. Anyway, so that's enough of that. Weather. That's enough of that. The, the ducks are back. Spring is here. 
And that means it's going to be summer. Ugh, great. <laughs> the other day, I, I, it hit me. It says, oh, you know what? It's going to get hot again. Ugh, I'm going to be sitting in an office with a crappy-ass air conditioner uh, that doesn't work. I'm going to be sitting there sweating all damn day, and I'll be complaining about getting in there. Oh, it's just going to be... It's, oh, I hate summer. I hate summer. <laughs> I don't mind part of spring. I don't mind part of the winter. Uh, there's a tiny part of summer I don't mind. I like fall, but I just, you know... Ugh. Anyway, enough of that. What is art? Did that startle you? <laughs> what is art? Well, um, it's hard to say. What makes something art? Because it's, art is subjective. If you, if you like it, you like it. If you think it's art, it's probably art. It may not be good art, but then who's making, that, you know, who's making the call of whether it's good or not? It's that kind of thing. I've talked about in the past where you know, abstract art... Uh, the more abstract something is, the bigger the bullshit story has to be to explain why it's art. And if you can get an art critic to do the bullshit story for you, you got it made. But um, and then I, I've talked about you know primitive art or outsider art, folk art, which is you know artists who really aren't any good. <laughs> they really can't, you know, they they really can't do it, but they do it anyway. And some critic sees it and says, oh my, isn't that wonderful? Look at how simple, but yet how deep and, and full of meaning it is, or whatever they come up with. You know, it's like Grandma Moses. She couldn't paint for shit. Okay? Sorry. She just couldn't. But everybody knows who she is. Well, you know, they did for a while. I'm sure some people have forgotten about Grandma Moses. But, you know, but even that, it, even though that art doesn't speak to me, and I look at it and say, well, there really isn't much skill involved in what you're doing, and I don't think you really know what you're doing. You're just doing it. And, you know, maybe there's art in that, I suppose. But, um, I, so, it's hard to say. It might not speak to me. It speaks to you. It's art. Everything can be art, I suppose. It just depends on how you look at it. And I bring this up because on uh, on Facebook, somebody shared a, uh, um, a meme, um, four images within this you know, one meme with a text header. The, the text heading uh, read as follows: Someone left someone left their glasses in a museum, and people thought it was art. And what the pictures show. Uh, one of the pictures just shows a, a pair of eyeglasses. They're open. That means the, uh, the, uh, the, the bows, that's the part that goes alongside your head and goes behind your ear, those are open as if they're on, your, on someone's face. And they're set on the floor about a foot from the wall. And the wall is just this, you, you see the wall, it's just a long expanse of wall that's just white. There's nothing on it. And you can, you can see in a couple of the pictures, you can see... Or at least one of the pictures. It looks like some sculpture or some sort of art set in the in the in the background. You can see that. And there are um, so anyway. So this, these these glasses are set on the floor as though they are looking out from the wall. The lenses run parallel to the wall, and the uh, the the bows of the glasses are pointed toward the wall. Okay, and so it 
it, it so that's one picture just shows the glasses. The other three pictures show people gathered around, looking thoughtfully at the glasses as though it's a piece of art. Even in, in one of the pictures, he's got a guy down on his hands and knees taking a picture of the glasses because you know he wants to have this wonderful piece of art in uh, in his uh, photo file so he can you know have if, you know memories of it and look at it and say look how impressive this piece of art is and the the intent of the meme I think is to um, well do a couple of things one is to just ridicule the people who think that that's a piece of art but two is to maybe question this whole idea of art what is art and and how pretentious it can be you know you put a piece of, you put a pair of glasses on the floor and people are going to gather around it and look at it like it's a piece of art how you know how stupid that is and, and how silly these people are don't they know it's just a pair of glasses it reminds me of an episode of Columbo uh, the original series which is really the only series really I mean I guess I shouldn't say that straight out because I have not seen many of the Columbo episodes that uh, came out in the 80s and into the 90s when uh, Peter Falk was much older but he was still a lieutenant in uh, uh, the police department he hadn't rose I mean this guy is solving so many cases all these murder cases and he doesn't rise up within the department anyway um, the problem I had with uh, what I had seen of the newer episodes is that they feel too much like Murder, She Wrote and Matlock and Diagnosis Murder. It's a little too, you know, with you know some old person solving murders. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Angela Lansbury, she's a fiction writer, a mystery writer, uh, writes murder novels, and everywhere she goes, somebody gets killed. And the joke is, well, she's doing it because, my goodness, how could that be happening all the time? Uh, yeah, and then Dick Van Dyke plays the uh, doctor on the on the uh, diagnosis murder, and he's you know he's solving crimes. And Matlock, of course, is a lawyer played by Andy Griffith, and he's you know doing his. It makes more sense for him to be solving murders and such. But there's a there's just a formulaic sense to those shows, and that's what I felt watching the the newer Columbos. The older ones seem to be more. Well, I don't want to get too carried away, but some of them have a real uh, feature film feel to them. Some of them do. Not all of them. Some of them. Uh, but they're just—it just—it's just a—they're just, a, just written. Most of them are written a little bit better, and there's some. There's more of, uh, of a uniqueness to those shows that that uh, that the Murder She Wrote shows didn't have. It's just like they—they they all seemed like they were the same. Just just plug in different characters and essentially the same stuff is going on. Anyway, so there was an episode of Columbo way back when I believe it was called Payback. And you know, Columbo uh, is investigating some fellow who killed his mother-in-law and rigged the system. His, he's got all these doodads in his house, all electronic stuff, you know, videotape and stuff to you know a security system and all that kind of stuff. And he's rigged it up so it looks like the, his mother-in-law was murdered after he was out of the house and at an art gallery showing. And, uh, you know, I won't go through anything more of it, but that's what, what's going on. So Columbo goes into the art gallery to investigate there a little bit, and he's being taken around by the, the proprietor of the art gallery and shown some art pieces 
uh, you know, at, at the woman doesn't know yet. I think at that point she doesn't know yet that he's a police detective. He's just she thinks he's somebody interested in some art, and so she takes him around and she's showing him pieces and telling him how much they cost. And they're all abstract type stuff, really. You know, so so Columbo's reacting to it like I don't know. It's the art isn't speaking to him, and and you know, so she's bringing him around. And at some point she gets to there's standing by this wall and on the wall i think it's a heat register or an air conditioning register i think that's what it is but it might be a thermostat i'm trying I, I i can't remember exactly what it is but it's something like that that's just part of the wall and colombo's at some point asks her well what is this piece here and what's what's this selling for and she says well no that's just part of the air conditioning or something and he goes oh Oh, and that's supposed to be funny because Columbo was supposed to insert humor into the thing, and that's supposed to be funny. And I'm sure people back in 1970, whatever, were just chuckling, you know, wholeheartedly to such a mistake. Well, that's what this picture of people looking at a pair of eyeglasses sitting on the floor in an art gallery seems to be making the same joke. That's what that's what that seems what's happening there. But the thing is, and here I'm going to get a little hippie on you, and I'm not a fan of hippies. <laughs> Ah, you know, people are people. What are you going to do? I looked at I showed it. I, I chuckled at it when I saw it for the first time. And I showed it to my wife, and she chuckled at it. And I said, and I looked at her and said, but did you know, when you look at this, if you step back, you step back from the look how silly these people are on thinking that these this pair of glasses is art. And you step back from that. And, and then you step back from the how the art world is so pretentious and, and, and you know, I don't know, nobody knows what art is, that kind of thing, and you're, you're ridiculing the art world and, and the way people uh, uh, um, deal with it and the way they perceive it. You're making fun of that, and I think that's a secondary thing that's being made fun of. Step back from there, and then you look and think, and, I, and when I looked at it, I said, the reaction of the, the people, the eyeglasses on the floor, the reaction of the people to it, make this moment art. This is a piece of performance art where the people in the art gallery don't realize that they're part of the performance. You step back even farther. The moment becomes a piece of art. It's just to see, you know, see how this works, to manipulate people into a situation. I have a sneaking suspicion, I can't say this for certain, but I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, that the person who took these pictures, and I, and I think it's probably the same picture, the person that took these these pictures of that w that you'll see in the, I'll put it on the show notes page at dimland.com. Click on the blog option, you'll get to the show notes, you'll see it. Uh, I have a feeling that that person set it up, that they put the glasses there, and and just to see how people would react. I think I also have a suspicion, although this is very speculative, that they might have even attempted to, or had some friends or somebody uh, that uh, affiliated with them that would uh, uh, go to go up and look at the glasses as though it's a piece of art to get other people to influence to manipulate other people into joining into this performance. I think it's a piece of art in that that moment when you come back and you step way back and look at it. The glasses being there, the reaction of the people, take it in, in that context, I think that's art. I'm not saying it's great art. I think it's humorous. I think it's kind of fun. And, and you know, and that's, that's kind of cool, don't you think? You know, call me a hippie, I guess. 
What also is cool is that I'm going to take my first break. You're listening to uh, Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I shall return after this break. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Hi, this is Pete Townsend of The Who. I just want to say that the United States Air Force is a great place to be, a great place to learn a space-age skill and serve your country too. The aerospace team, that's where all the breakthroughs are. See your United States Air Force recruiter. Find out how you too can fly the skies, reach for the moon, touch the stars in the United States Air Force. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. And you're back on uh, Dimland Radio, or at least I'm back. You were just sitting there listening to it, or you were fast-forwarding if you download, download this as a podcast, which you can do at iTunes. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow on Podbean. You can check and see where you get your podcast from. Uh, I might show up there, Dimland Radio, search for it, and, and subscribe. It'll be cool to get more than a 15 downloads a show, or whatever I'm getting now. Uh, it would be cool. You know, I had... There was... Um, uh, I got a new follower on Podbean. I, I saw a person showed up, and uh, now I'm not absolutely certain of this, but I would think I can make this inference because in one day I got 118 downloads. In one day. And I thought, whoa, what the hell? And I'm looking through to see if there's one podcast that went crazy. I mean, back in January of, uh, was it last year? 2017, I think it was. There was a show that got 115 downloads. It's my most downloaded show. I don't know why. <laughs> it just did. And apparently nobody was interested enough to stick around. But hey, what are you gonna do? Uh, so in one day, 118 downloads. And it took me a little thinking to figure out what that, why, that happened that day and it did it dawned on me that the person maybe not the person that just started following me but it would seem a, a likely person uh decided to download all my shows you know just get them all and at because i figured out i figured that out because i was i uh, was posting my 117th show that's available through itunes 
So, I thought, well, 118 shows. That's somebody's probably downloaded all the, the, the 116 that were available at, at one point, and maybe a couple other people downloaded something. Uh, so, uh, because it wasn't any one particular show that jumped up in numbers, it was spread out over the whole thing. And if you are that person who did that, thank you, and I hope you're still listening. <laughs> I hope you're you're still out there uh, checking out the shows. Uh, okay, um, so that's uh, that's that was cool. It was fun and uh, gratifying to see. You know, was, whoa! Look at because you go into the Podbean and it shows you these, you know, the download numbers on a little graph. So you get these little peaks and valleys, and lots of valleys on mine. But every now and then there's a peak and one big peak. It's like 118. What the hell? So, again, to that person, thank you for downloading all those shows. Hey, if you think the show's pretty good, tell friends, leave a good review on iTunes, or you know, just you know, five star review. That's that'd be cool. Okay. Uh, in uh, I'm going to talk about some movies here, uh, pretty much for the rest of the show. Talk about movies. Um, I've talked about this before about how I, I think sometimes the the worst thing for uh, uh, for movies, uh, especially movie franchises, uh, so the one of the worst things for them are um, uh, or is. The fan, the fans, some of them, not all of them. There are fans that like the shows and understand that. Yeah, you know, I had a one. I heard a wonderful explanation uh, by Steve Novella of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe on that podcast, which is a really good podcast. You should guys should check it out. Uh, it's good skeptical stuff. Like lots of good skeptical stuff. Um. Uh, Steve was talking about how people complained about the Harry Potter movies weren't the same as the book, uh, or maybe not as good as the book, and and that might be true. It might be not as good as the book. The book can have, you know, the books can have so much more stuff in it than you can put into a movie. And the way Steve said, you know, it's, yeah, it's different. The the movies are the movies. They're based on the books, but the stories told in the movies are the the stories of the movies, not necessarily. The stories of the books. Yes, they follow the main line of the books and all that, but they have to make some changes. They have to drop out some characters. They have to drop off some story, drop out some storylines because, you, 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 unless unless you're going to make a series, like a Netflix series based on Harry Potter or whatever books you got out there, where you can delve into every aspect of the book over a series of. 10, 20 shows, or you know, in, uh, over the course of, you know, and maybe 10 shows a season or 20 shows a season. You know, the the Star Star Trek. You remember Star Trek when that came out? There was something like 30 episodes the first couple of seasons, something like that. that uh, the third season there were less, but that's, that's you know, And then for a while there was uh, seasons were like 24 or 26 shows, and and now a season is 10. But that's fine because you you. They can hone the quality for those shows. Uh, you won't have as many clinkers that just didn't quite work. But anyway, so I thought that was a good explanation by Steve Novello to say that it, the book, the books are the books, and the movies are the movies. You know, it's it's just judge them on them. Are they good movies? You enjoy, you enjoy it, you have fun. And so when you got a 
a franchise like that, like uh, Star Trek movies and the Lord of the Rings, and you got, you know, the the, the Marvel Universe movies, uh, the DC Universe movies, Star Wars, especially Star Wars. And I know I talked about this in the past. The reaction of people toward the the Last Jedi when that came out, how much they they just there were so many fans that hated it, and it just seems like what's been happening is, and this has been happening for a while. The, the internet has given everybody a chance to, to express their opinions in a public way uh, through YouTube and through blogs and through all this kind of stuff. They, they, you know, these opinions are coming out there. And there's this, there's this weird nerd anger. <laughs> and, and look, I'm a nerd too. I geek out about certain movies and certain things. There's stuff that I'm into and nobody should ever be ashamed of being into something as, as long as that something you're into isn't harming others. That's you know that's where you draw the line, but you know if you're way into Star Wars, that's cool. You're way into Star Wars, but some of the people who are way into Star Wars get so angry, have been getting so angry lately about the the movies. You know they were they they liked when Force Awakens came out, they they liked it at first, but then they got to think about it for a little bit, and this wasn't all of them. This was just the ones that get, tend to get angry, and they started getting angry about it because well it was just Star Wars again, and with a little bit of Empire Strikes Back thrown in, it was it wasn't different. At least, and at least the prequels they would say were different. So they they found a way to praise the pe the prequels because they didn't like what the Force Awake what Force Awakens did because it wasn't different enough, you know. And the they had previously been trashing the prequels. <laughs> And now they find a way to say, well, the prequels at least did something different. All right, so then Return to, uh, the Last Jedi comes out, and that was too different. Oh, you can't please anybody. And what I talked about when I talked about this in the past uh, was some, uh, what an, an, an opinion or a, a, an idea as to why this, this angry nerd reaction happens was because... Between Star Wars movies, two years or whatever it was, there's all this time to speculate about what you're going to see in the next movie. Yeah, instead of just saying, "Wow, I wonder what the next movie's going to have in it," and just leave it at that. I guess we'll find out when we see it, because that's how I do it. I guess we'll find out how we see it. You know, they were all angry that there was no backstory for Snoke. Well, there was no backstory for the Emperor in the first three Star Wars movies and the original three. I brought that up before. There was no backstory for him. So what? <laughs> it's just they're Star Wars movies. They're movies. <laughs> what do you, you know? So, you know, and there wasn't that much anger about Rogue One. Everybody liked Rogue One because I, I have a, I have a suspicion that the ones that that got real angry, their fan fiction, their theories were pretty much on target with what happened in Rogue One because well, we pretty much all knew the story before we saw it. We all knew, essentially, you know, we just were curious how they were going to get there, but we were pretty sure how it was going to end. And I think, you know, we weren't, and, and it was a really good movie. And, but then they didn't like Han Solo because, well, you know, they didn't like the Solo movie. And I, I, I'll tell you this, from Force Awakens to today, all the Star Wars movies that have come out, I've liked them all. I've been entertained by them. I thought they were fun, and I thought they they did something that the prequels lost. The, the prequels lost the feel of the original three movies, which are not the greatest movies ever made. They're not. And Star Wars, as great as it was, was not a great movie as far as great cinema. But it was great in its impact. 
It was great in its influence, and it was great in its fun. And it was great to a 12-year-old seeing it. But, you know, I'll never have that feeling again seeing any Star Wars movie. I came close with Force Awakens because it, the tone was back. The prequels, the tone wasn't quite right. It didn't quite feel like the original three, whereas the movies that have been coming out since feel right, at least to me. But it's art, and art is subjective. But this angry nerd thing, this is, I bring this up because, and it doesn't have, it, it, you use Star Wars as the example because it's the most egregious. But there's, there's something that I noticed this week because this week, the trailer, the teaser trailer for Joker put on a uh, happy face. I don't know if that's the title, it's the full title. It's just the Joker, but then it says put on a happy face. So it, this movie that's going to come out in October, the teaser trailer dropped. I guess, you know, and I don't know why it's called a, t a teaser trailer because those I usually are shorter. This one's over two minutes, but still. The movie has Joaquin Phoenix playing uh, the Joker. Uh, he plays the character who becomes the Joker. And it's pretty obvious from the trailer that the movie, at least a, a good portion of the movie, is going to focus on how this guy becomes the Joker. And, uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine, I think, was the first one to, to post the uh, the trailer and said, this looks like it could be good. And it's essentially said that. What do you guys think? This looks, you know, looks like it could be good. You know, they they have the attitude of, of uh, let's see the movie. You know, they have that attitude. But others on Facebook and you know have posted about it and and people in their comment threads have backed them up others have taken the 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 angry nerd thing and now has turned it into we can't wait for the movie to come out to hate it we have to start hating it from the trailer from the teaser trailer <laughs> we have to start hating it now because it doesn't have the actor I wanted in it that's one of the guys Willem Dafoe would have been so much better. Maybe. And, and, and so when I saw that from one of my uh, Facebook friends that I don't know, it's just somebody that's a Facebook friend, posted that, and I was reading through the comments, and people said, yeah, it looks pretty, it either looks bland or it looks terrible. You're right, Willem Dafoe should have played him, that kind of stuff. And I just said, uh, the movie hasn't even come out yet. And then they start, you know, answering me uh, back about it with, you know, well, it would be so much better with this, and it looks terrible, and it looks, you know, don't, they need to read the comics. And I said, and I repeated myself, the movie hasn't even come out yet. And then I put on my Facebook page, you know, it's just like, can we, you know, wait for the movie to come out before we start hating it? It's just the trailer. <laughs> it's, it's, and I think the trailer looks like it could be really good. It looks intriguing to me. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, when he was when he was talking about his movie Unbreakable, uh, his follow-up to The Sixth Sense, his next movie from the follow uh, from The Sixth Sense. After it, um, he talked about this movie and he said he always he was a comic book buyer. He always found the origin stories of 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 
of heroes and villains to be the most interesting stories. And that's what that's what Unbreakable is. It's the origin story of this Bruce Willis character realizing he's well, it could be a superhero. He's got superhuman powers. And so yeah, when I look at that Joker trailer, I see a couple of things. Now, I've read the comic books. Not I haven't been reading them for a long time, but uh, it looks to me like there's a comic book called The Killing Joke. It was written by Alan Moore, who's one of the big-time comic book writers. He's uh, he's been he's been a huge influence on comic books. He he st was writing the Swamp Thing storyline uh, for DC, and that was very popular at the time. And uh, he's uh, he, he wrote The Watchmen. He wrote V for Vendetta. You know, movies have been made out of those. Uh, Swamp Things had a movie made out of it, uh, or a couple. Um, and so, Killing Joke. There's been an animated feature made out of this book, and it's a Killing Joke is one of those prestige comics um, that it's a special, you know, special paper and a nice, you know, uh, special cover stock, you know, with a cardboard stock for the cover, and uh, it, you know, more pages than the average comic book, and it's just a one-off. This is just this story, Batman: The Killing Joke. I think that's the official title of it. And it's got a really good artist, uh, Brian Boland, I think his name is, and a really good artist. And that book tells, in part, this part of it deals with telling the backstory of the Joker. How did he become the Joker? Now the character is never named. He was a, apparently he was an engineer who deci decided to follow his heart and and go out and make the world laugh. He wanted to be a comedian. He wanted to be doing stand-up comedy. He wanted to, you know, he felt that was his calling in life and he had a he had a young wife who was pregnant and he, he you know, he quits his 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 engineer job and he you know, goes off to be a comedian and it's a struggle and uh, through circumstances the wife and his unborn child are killed or and 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 he gets he gets uh, hooked into a, uh, um, a, um, a crime scheme with these criminals that uh, you know offered him a lot of money and he needed the money but then you know his wife dies and the unborn child dies and so now he wants to back out but the criminals have their hooks in him there's nothing he can do and so he helps them get into this chemical factory I guess which is where he used to work and they're trying to get to this other place through this chemical factory but Batman shows up to foil the crime. Now the criminals, what they do, what these guys do is they pick, they find these down and out guys, desperate guys, and they get them, you say, look, we'll give you a big bunch of money, but you gotta help us do this one job. And so they get these guys and they, they disguise the guys as this character called the Red Hood. So the police think that there's this criminal mastermind called the Red Hood, which actually it's just a patsy put, to, you know, put into these situations by these other criminals. And so that's, that's what happens with this engineer, who, we, like I said, we don't know his name in the comic book. I don't remember him having a name. And so he's in this chemical factory. He's trying to get away from the guys. Batman's somehow found out what's going on, so he's foiling everything. And uh, this this character, the, the Red Hood guy, falls into a vat of chemicals, and, uh, and, the, and the chemicals uh, drain out into a river, because that's what corporations do. And... Uh, and he, when he finds himself outside of the factory, 
takes off the red hood and he sees himself and his skin has been bleached white and his lips are bright red and his hair is, is colored green because of this chemical stuff and he snaps well, I'm sure the chemical had something to do with him snapping but all this stuff had piled up on him and he snaps and becomes this homicidal maniac who calls himself the Joker and that's how he started and when I look at the trailer that's what I'm seeing I'm seeing the influence of that story in there, the, in th all these little cuts. Uh, I'm also seeing that it's time for my next break. I'll come back, talk a little more about this, uh, and when, when I do, just hang around. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Uh, I, sh I, I will be back soon. to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. And welcome back to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, I've been talking about this teaser trailer that dropped this week on the internets for the Joker movie that's going to come out in October. The movie hasn't even come out yet. And the angry nerds are angry. <laughs> and, and I again, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm into this kind of stuff, too. You know, it's... it's and And... I just I don't understand. It's I don't I don't understand how it, it seems to be the hip thing now to not to not just hate the popular stuff, which believe me, I know what it's like to hate popular stuff. <laughs> My musical snobbery from the 1980s is 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 still with me a little bit. It's not as bad as I was, but it's still there. I I mean I was at a point where if it's popular, it can't be good. I'm not quite that bad anymore. There is some popular stuff that I think is good. 
uh, uh, I'm really out of touch with popular music today, but uh, there's some popular stuff that I think is good. Uh, at least, you know, from the 80s up to the 2000s <laughs> that, I, that I'm aware of. Anyway. Um, so when I'm when I watch that trailer, I see the influence of that that comic book, uh, The Killing Joke, which set up some canon for the character. Although DC Comics had a very bizarre, wide open uh, story stuff going on for a time, there was all kinds of multiple universes. So many different Earths, and one Earth had Superboy, while the other Earth had Superman, and that's all you know. And at some point in the '90s, I think it was or early 2000s, they tried to bring everything to one Earth timeline kind of thing, trying to fix all the canon, all the storylines. Uh, they tried to do that, but I'm not being a DC guy. Uh, I don't know all the, the whole story there. But what this movie apparently is going to be sort of a standalone. It's not part of the other DC movies that are coming out. It's not part of the Justice League stuff and all that, or the Suicide Squads and stuff. It's not part of that. It's just kind of its own thing. Although it might relate to uh, a, a Batman movie that's that might be coming out in a couple of years. It might relate to that one. Because uh, this one, there's no Batman in this one. And it, unless there's a Bruce, there's Bruce Wayne's in it, but he's ten years old, and there's an encounter there. So there's there's an intrigue that I find intriguing notion about uh, Joker encountering Bruce Wayne as a boy and all that. There's also another element in this movie other than that Killing Joke book, and that is there's it's a couple things. Uh, one uh, one influence that I see in it is uh, Martin Scorsese's film The King of Comedy. That had uh, Robert De Niro playing uh, Marty Puffkin, I think that's his name, who is a struggling stand-up comic, whose one desire in life is to get to be a guest on the Tonight Show-like late-night talk show that's in the world of this movie, and which is hosted by a fellow played by Jerry Lewis. And the the plot of the, uh, the King of Comedy is that uh, this 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 De, Niro De Niro's character kidnaps the the talk show host in order to, you know, and, and his ransom is, I want to be a guest on the show. <laughs> that's that's what he wants. Uh, and it's, it's, it's dark, it's funny, uh, it's interesting, and there are, there are visuals within this teaser trailer for, the, for this Joker movie that put in mind King of Comedy. And in fact, Robert De Niro plays... Uh, 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 the role of a talk show host in the movie, and it's, uh, so there's a little connection there. There's also a connection to Frank Miller's uh, uh, four-issue comic book series called the, "The Dark Knight Returns." That's what we refer to it as, and that's this. It's a story about Batman who stopped being Bat Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne stopped being Batman for a time. Uh, he's getting too old to do that stuff. You know, he's too old for that shit. And uh, and he's 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 holed up in in Wayne Manor, and he's watching the world disintegrating. You know, Gotham City falling apart, and crime-ridden gangs, and all kinds of stuff. And he decides that Gotham needs Batman back again, so he dons the unif the the outfit once more, and he comes back. And it's a really good series. Four issues. It's really good. 
and the Joker character is in there, and he, and when Batman had disappeared, the Joker uh, went into a catatonic state because there was no reason for the Joker to to do what he does. He needed Batman, and uh, when the Joker is sitting in some you know common room at the Arkham Asylum. And the TV's on, and news reports are showing that uh, it seems as though the Batman is back. The Joker comes back. That's interesting, interesting connection there. And then, I mean, as far as between Batman and the Joker, and then later in the storyline, the Joker makes an appearance on a late night with David Letterman type show. So there's, I, there are these elements that I see in this te teaser trailer. So that's that intrigues me. I think it looks good, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix. He's a really good actor. I've liked him in a lot of stuff, and he looks like he's lost weight for the movie, so he looks he looks thin. Um, the 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 actor, through no fault of his own, his body he has uh, I guess what's called a sunken chest. His uh, shoulders turn inward, and one in particular does, and that's just how he is. It's just you know, it's nothing wrong with him. It's just how he is. And he uses that physicality because you see some shots of him, you know, just in his underwear, which no man, no, no male should wear uh, uh, tidy whities if they've gotten past the age of 10. <laughs> it's just go to the boxer briefs because it just looks wrong. I mean, that was one thing that bothered me about Breaking Bad. Walt in the tidy whities. It's just that just bothered me. Seeing grown men wearing this, it's just to me, it just looks wrong. It's just either go boxers or boxer briefs or banana hammocks, but no whitey, tidy whiteies. It just looks wrong. It just, I, it doesn't work, even if you're in really good shape. But anyway, Joaquin Phoenix uses his physicality to to show his him. He's twisting. He's trying. You know, things are happening to him. I think it looks fascinating, but the angry nerds are going to be angry, and they're going to say, didn't match my fan fiction, didn't match my theories, that's not the way I picture the Joker. <sighs> Gee whiz, you know what? Make your own goddamn movie. <sighs> All right, how much time have I got? I do have a uh, movie recommendation. Boy, I don't have much time, so... Uh, you know, I was... Mm, yeah, I'm going to do this movie recommendation. Uh, the movie is called Mandy. And it came out last year, 2018. It stars Nicolas Cage. Now, I know what you're thinking. Over the last few years, Nicolas Cage movies could get a little... His performance could get a little more than just a little over the top. Crazy. You know, just wild Nicolas Cage acting. Uh, not the bees! Not the bees! <laughs> uh, the, the, this movie it's something they have to do with uh, that's the Wicker Man remake when he, he was saying that uh, then there's that, this other movie that's something to do with the vampire Kiss of the Vampire or something and and Nicolas Cage is playing this guy that's going nuts and he's in therapy and he's angry at his uh, secretary or something who couldn't file something she filed put a file in the wrong place and he he gets so angry he says how tough can it be it's a b c d and he goes through the entire alphabet in the scene and he does it in that crazed nicholas cage manner and that can be an acquired taste uh nicholas cage in general i think can be an acquired taste for some people i've heard you know but I think he does really well in this movie. 
he has a little bit of the crazed moments, but uh, they work for what the story is. But they're not his. But for the most part, he's there's hardly any dialogue from him, uh, and and it's and it's well, it's hard to describe exactly what this movie is. It's a revenge movie. Uh, Nicholas Cage. It, it's set in 1983, uh, in some in the Snowy Mountains area, which is in near the Mojave Desert in Cal, in Southern California. But I guess there's you know a mountainous foresty area over there, and he plays a lumberjack. And it seems as though he has a violent past, although they don't really address it directly, but. There's some indications that he's had a violent past. I mean, there's some things that he's able to do that would seem to say, okay, this guy's, you know, this guy's had some training, military training maybe, or something. something. There's just some stuff that he does. Um, he's married. His wife is an illustrator. And she's into these, these 70s fantasy novels. Uh, you know... I don't know if it's Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of stuff, but maybe a little more fantasy than that, and you know, like sci-fi fantasy, horror fantasy type novels. And the movie itself, if you if you can picture these the books from then, these little pocket uh, pocket books, uh, paper book, paperback books that were small, but they would have uh, these really colorful psychedelic type illustrations on the cover with, uh, you know, intriguing typefaces for, for laying out the title. The movie looks like those book covers, and that's intentional. The director of the film is, is named Panos Cosmatos. I hope I got that name right. Cosmatos. He also wrote the film, and it's low budget, $6 million to make the movie, but it looks... Fantastic. There's some interesting use of uh, uh, um, uh, of the film to show drug use, what it's like to be on some drugs. So, what happens uh, without giving everything away? Uh, Nicholas Cage is married. Uh, his wife is Mandy. They live in a fairly isolated part of the world, and um, she's walking on the road one day, and a van comes by that's filled with these people. It's a small hippie-ish religious drug cult. And their their guru guy sees her and determines that he needs her. He wants her. And so they, they try to get her. Some very tragic things happen. And it sets Nicolas Cage on the trail of revenge. It gets pretty violent. It it, but again, it's just it's it, it visually, it's just so fantastic. They will the the uh, the, the filmmaker the, the you know this this cosmatos cosmatos will put in you know like title cards that are done in these 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 uh, the typefaces that were used in those books from those those type days. Mandy reads that that's kind of book you know so there's that connection there. And it and the movie kind of feels like a '70s exploitation film a little bit, but but even better, you know. And um, it, it's so it's just you should watch it. Be prepared that the violence gets uh, gets pretty rough. And I mean, it's not necessarily terribly gory, but there's some 
at gore elements to it. There's some pretty. There's a couple funny bits to it. There's some humor, dark humor throughout. Uh, there's some strange characters in there. I mean, some really weird demon, demonic type characters that you'll see. Uh, and there's uh, yeah, it's just it's really cool. We had this, the DVD for it from Netflix sitting here in our house. It says it arrived on January 30th. And we didn't watch it until last week. It just, for some reason or other, we just didn't get around to watching it. It just sat there and sat there and sat there. But uh, when we finally did watch it, I, I really liked it. Amy loved it. It's really good. It's called Mandy. Check it out. Three cool things. Let's see. Um, somebody put together uh, uh, a meme. It's a picture of Pete Townsend. He's got his guitar. He's playing in concerts about 1976-ish, 75-ish, and uh, and he's standing there. And it's and, he, and it says that uh, he's been causing cancer since 1964. And I I was thinking of getting pedantic on that date because the, you know the Who got together in '63, I think. But anyway. Uh, but I didn't do enough research to find out for sure. But but what that's referring to is this idea that Trump, our president, has floated about windmills, the vibrations from windmills somehow causing cancer in people. Now, I've heard that from other other ways. I've read it in Skeptical Inquirer. I think I, I've heard it on some skeptical podcasts where people are claiming that that can happen, which is bullshit. It doesn't happen. It's not You're not going to get cancer from it. But somehow Trump has fallen into that conspiracy. And so somebody brilliantly put that together. I mean, they just, it was brilliant. Because, you know, Townsend does the windmill thing, and he spins his arm when he plays guitar. He does that. That's the windmill thing. So so that's cool thing number one. Cool thing number two is related to that. And that is the reaction on Facebook, on social media, to Donald Trump's conspiracy mongering when it comes to windmill vibration causing cancer and that is to think how silly it's ridiculous to ridicule that there there's skeptical thought out there saying there's no way that this causes cancer what the hell and i don't know if it's politically motivated if it was obama saying it maybe the people would agree oh really there might be something to this no whatever it i the reaction that I've been seeing, that's cool because they're showing some skepticism toward that idea. I hope they would have done so if Obama made the same things, but you know, Obama wouldn't because he's not a dumbass, right? And three, well, two weeks in a row, I've made my third cool thing, baseball related, and <laughs> I'm doing it again. Um, just today, I was looking up some stuff about uh, the Twins, and I found a whole series of, uh, you know, 45-second to two-minute uh, video bits of a, seri- of, of a special that was put out uh, by the Twins organization uh, called uh, 100 Memorable Metrodome Moments. Now, the Metrodome, the Hubert H. Metrodome, is where the Twins... Uh, used to play baseball before the Target Field opened in 2010. And uh, so they played in the Metrodome from 1982 till 2009. And uh, so they picked 100 great moments in that history. And I think they're great. I'll link to number 100, and you can spend your time watching them. They're fantastic. But be warned, you are going to see the celebration of the 1987 World Series champ. <laughs> 
championship win. When they won the game, you're going to see that 30 or 40 times. <laughs> it's going to show up in there in part of it. But it's I watched it, and I think it's really, really cool. And I hope you've had at least, uh, let's see how many, three cool things have happened for you this week. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Oh, and the end of another Dimland radio here on the Z Talk Radio Network. I decided to do a little art type talking, movies and art and stuff, so what the hell, huh? Uh, anyway, um, be skeptical. Extraordinary claims uh, re- require extraordinary evidence. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons, reminding you all to sleep with the lights off. And let's wait till the movie comes out, huh? Let's just wait. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell.